Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Masters of Craft. Trauma of money is a paradigm shift, and the paradigm shift is that if we live in this dominant economic culture, we're all impacted by trauma of money. One of the reasons why trauma of money is different than like financial psychology or financial therapy, we orient in this like broader landscape of collective trauma. What are the impacts of extractive capitalism? What are are the impacts of patriarchy? What are the impacts of colonialism and all of these different layers? What are some of the thoughts or the narratives that are showing up when you're about to interact with your pricing or you're about to have a conversation with someone around money? I'm not worthy of charging this much. No one's gonna accept this. Is this good enough? And like you've got all these thoughts coming in and maybe there's some shame arising. We say like whose shame is this or whose judgment is this or whose fear is this? Whose imposter syndrome is this? Speed. 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 You, want, you, want, you want to do some speed? <laughs> you like <No>. drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Masters of Craft. In case you're tuning in for the first time, this show, um, basically, it's a few of my favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. Um, I've been taking vocal lessons. How did that sound to you? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Good range. Um, shout out to YouTube for my, my lessons. Um, no, thank you. Chantel Chapman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for wearing your Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> no problem. Repre representing the represent. home territory. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you run a company called a, a, a Trombone of Money, or is it? Is it Trauma, Trauma of Money. Trauma of Money, okay. Um, research team. You guys. <laughs> the, <laughs> tell us about Trauma of Money, and um, also, as you do that, Give us the aha moment of when it became a thing for you. Like, oh my gosh, this is. Oh what I need to yeah. Do. Okay. This is a bit of a long story. Are you ready for I'm this? I'm ready for long okay. story. We got nothing okay. time. Okay. So, Trauma of Money is a professional certification program that certifies uh, professionals, mainly trauma therapists, social workers, financial professionals. HR professionals, not-for-profit not professionals in a trauma-sensitive approach to money. And so we take a little bit of financial psychology, we take the psychology of scarcity, we look at systems and, the, and society, and we go through all those layers and explore how those layers impact the relationship with money. So, um, that, there's a lot of layers to yeah, that. Right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the aha moment. Like, what, what were you doing at the time when you're like, I'm going to do yeah. a trauma of money? Course. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it started out with, there was like a series of little aha moments to, that led to one really big aha moment. And, you know, I started my career in finance at 21 and I was a mortgage broker and that was very challenging because most people would look at me and be like, are you even old enough to sign a contract? And you're trying to lend me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I couldn't get any clients. The only clients I could get were people who were declined. And I didn't know this at the time, but I am a recovering people pleaser and saying no to someone, telling someone that they're declined was heartbreaking to me. So rather than saying, yeah, you know what, you really are declined, I ended up uh, 
saying to someone, it's just not yet. <laughs> and so right. let me do everything I can possibly do to get to you to a place where you can get approved. So I ended up take, teaching financial literacy to my clients, essentially. And as I was doing that, I felt a lot of emotions around that. Like I felt a, a sense of like injustice around the fact that a lot of people, you know, couldn't fulfill their dreams because of an issue on their credit score or, you know, like something to do with their income and the way the taxes were being filed. And I felt these strong feelings because behind the scenes of my professional image, I had a lot of credit card debt. I was fa filing my taxes late. I was just kind of a bit of a mess with money. and. <laughs> Even though I'm like a financial professional, I also didn't know a lot of the things that I had to quickly learn to be able to teach my clients. So that was like the first aha moment that led to trauma of money, but that was many years ago. But at the time, my level of awareness only told me that I needed to teach financial literacy. And I thought, well, if I had only learned this in high school, <laughs> I wouldn't be in this position. So I opened up a financial literacy business. And my business at the time was called Holler for Your Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a strip club. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I know. It's, it's very cringe when I look back on it now. Is that, does that URL still exist? Can we go look <laughs> up the archived <laughs> files from Holler oh, for gosh. Your Dollar? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> but you had to start somewhere. That's I had to you, start somewhere. In your 20s, yeah, like, that's yeah. And the teenagers liked it. You know, it was like, you could have a banker come in and teach you about money, or you can have a holler for your dollar. <laughs> and so they liked it. But the thing that I noticed really quickly was that teenagers are very present-oriented. So they're, like, all about now. They're not often caring too much about their future credit score or retirement mm -hmm. or things like that. So I didn't feel like I was really making an impact. And so I started teaching adults about financial literacy. And I noticed really quickly, like I had this um, very approachable way about my delivery around a topic that people have a lot of shame around. And this was at like the beginning of the whole content marketing space so this is like right when instagram was getting started up this is also at the beginning of like fintech organizations and so i was noticed by a fintech organization um and they were like please come in and help us with our strategy mm. so that led me to like going in and consulting in the fintech space for many years and from and at that point, I became a media uh, spokesperson around financial literacy. So, you know, if you would see me like in the media in Canada, I would be noted as like Canada's credit score expert and things like that. Nice. Yeah. I and didn't know this about you. This yeah. Is, yeah. I'm learning so much, and it's like this this small amount of time. And yeah. I, I have a point to make about that in a second. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what was so people would see that on the outside, but behind the scenes, my my financial situation was still very challenged. Even though I had I believed financial literacy will help people, I taught financial literacy. I knew it in and out, but my financial situation didn't change. Right. So I was making more money than I've ever made, but my credit was still not great. I was always filing taxes late. I was racking up debt. I was using my money like a please love and accept me fund. So any money I had, it would be spent on 
receiving external validation. Mm. So whether that be like buying everyone dinner, you know, like going to the club and getting a bottle. <laughs> hey, I'm on a recovery journey, oh, right. so thought, thought that might, won't be happening. Get a meal out of you. All right, never mind. <laughs> it may, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and I was just overspending and people pleasing and I always I was also under earning So while I was making a lot more money than I've ever made I was under earning significantly and I had an experience in my life where someone who I love very much came to me and said I need your help. I'm at a uh, detox center on the downtown east side in Vancouver and the downtown east side in Vancouver is a very densely popula populated area mm -hmm. of folks who are experiencing houselessness and substance use addiction. There's a lot of trauma in this uh, place and he called me he's like I'm at a detox center here and I've been addicted to heroin and fentanyl and I need your help. So I showed up and I was like, I'm gonna help you get into recovery. We couldn't find a place for him to go. So he ended up going to what's called a halfway house, which mm -hmm. was transitioning um, men out of incarceration who um, are addicted to substances. So we placed him there and I would go there every single day. I would make food for the men. I would meditate with them. I was basically being in that like people pleasing mm -hmm. codependency. Let me make your recovery my responsibility role. And when I was there, I was having all these conversations and I'm like, why, why are you all here? And he had said to me, he's like, my whole life I had felt these feelings of like inadequacy. And it's like, it was looping in my brain. Like you're never good enough. And I'm, you're not accepted and you're a piece of shit and all these different narratives. And the moment I was using those voices calmed. Mm. And even though it was so destructive for my life, like I felt, I didn't feel that like self hate that I had for myself. And when he said that, that was the biggest aha moment. I was like, oh my gosh. I relate to you so much. Of course, I don't relate in the way that I was using fentanyl and heroin. Well, it's, something, it's something like we all go through, right? Yeah. We, we, we all mask, you know, yeah. feelings of inadequacy in whatever way, whether yeah. it's through humor or through sex or like yeah. whatever it might be. It, it, the mechanism <clears throat> is still there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was the aha moment. And I was like, what is mine? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the way I it's this like people pleasing and this codependency and this in in the trauma world, we call it fawning as a trauma response, like people pleasing as a trauma response. And it's manifesting in the way I interact with my money. And so my whole career where I really wanted to make an impact around money, I completely missed the mark. <laughs> And I'm like thinking it's education, but it's actually this piece, like these behaviors around money are soothing pain. And so that was when I went on a multi-year research journey and which eventually led to trauma of money. Um, I keep thinking about the name trauma of money. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not holler for your dollar. Right? No. There's, there's no poetry to it. It's like you're telling it, it is what it is. Yeah. And I was thinking about naming conventions and, you know, we all try to come up with clever names for the things that we want to create. Like, why did you decide to, like, hit the nail on the head with what it is? Well, originally it was, like, um, mindful money and, but we were, we wanted to talk about trauma and it, it was 
it was trauma and it felt so important to name it. One of, um, one of the slogans from the trauma world is you name it to tame it. Mm. And so we were like, well, let's, what about trauma of money or money of trauma? And it just felt right. Like it just landed. Trauma of money just landed. And it was so brilliant because I never thought about the SEO of it. But right. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's been incredible, the name for the business, because people are searching trauma, money, and we come up everywhere. Well, I also think there's like stigma, right? I yeah. think when people listen to this conversation or hear you talk or yeah. like come across it, I mean, I, my personal story was like, I don't know, that like scrolling through Instagram, I saw trauma of money, like, oh, that's interesting, what is it? And because I'm nosy and curious. Yeah. And also I was like, it kind of, I felt some kind of way when I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, once I got into what the material was and what the brand looked like and all, all the things that could probably impact things that I was experiencing, you and I ended up in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, 15 weeks later, like, but I think there is like, oh, that's for those people. Mm -hmm. And you've also worked with CEOs mm -hmm. and startups mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. banks mm -hmm. and like universities. Walk us through like destigmatizing mm -hmm. what trauma means yeah. when it comes to finance and money. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was having a conversation the other day with one of our faculty members who's a trauma therapist. And we were talking about, you know, is trauma of money you know, like steps of how to interact with your money or is it a paradigm shift? And I was thinking about that question and I feel it's both because trauma of money is a paradigm shift and the paradigm shift is that if we live in this dominant economic culture, we're all impacted by trauma of money. And one of the reasons why trauma of money is different than like financial psychology or financial therapy is we, we orient in this like broader landscape of collective trauma as well. So what are the impacts of, you know, extractive capitalism? What are the impacts of patriarchy? What are the impacts of colonialism and all of these different layers? And also we root in individual traumas that someone may experience and one way to simply describe trauma is by categorizing it into big t trauma or little t trauma so big t trauma is something that you know we would collectively agree that is very traumatic so just giving a content warning here um, i'm going to talk about abuse and and um, so sexual abuse an accident um, physical violence, war, big T trauma, and then there's little T trauma, which might be things like microaggressions or, you know, even like attachment wounding that you have in childhood with your parents. So there was a significant period of time um, where the parenting advice was leave the baby in the crib to cry it out. Teach your child to toughen up. And now all the trauma therapists are saying, um, your children have attachment trauma, right? Right, And so even that, and that was like the norm for parenting for many people. 
Um, and so that could be an example of even little T trauma. And little T trauma is like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Yeah. One, and this trauma therapist uh, I was talking with last week, uh, Shulamit, or this week about, you know, what trauma of money is. She goes, she's like, big T trauma explodes and little T trauma erodes. And when we're talking about trauma of money, trauma of money is a combination of the little T trauma and the big T trauma. And to put it very simply, um, trauma is something that happens to us that leaves wounding and essentially impacts our sense of worthiness and security. What does money represent mm -hmm. in our society? <laughs> it's everything. Like, it's literally everything. It's yeah. worth and security. So yeah. if you have wounding around worth and security and you're interacting with the resource that represents worth and security, there's clearly going to be some challenges. Now, when, the, you know, when I think about the entrepreneurial startup person or the creative mm -hmm. entrepreneur, like... There's so much other types of emotional hurdles to get through, whether it's like, oh, I see a vision for the world. Everybody's telling me no, mm -hmm. right? Let alone once I'm actually on track and I'm billing and I'm pricing and I'm doing all these things. It's all something we all struggle with where you're like, how much should I charge for this? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. should, have I graduated mm -hmm. to a new rate? Or yeah. should we increase our prices? Am I going to pay more for Netflix or cancel it? Like what, you know, mm -hmm. um, where where do you find the decision tree? Like where, where, where does it derail? for people or how do you incorporate all the different components into the one sort of path forward yeah so we have developed uh, the trauma of money method which is a six-step approach to interacting with your finances and this can be like macro or micro so you could apply this approach when you know making a decision around pricing for example so step one is always like noticing what's the state of your nervous system and what are some of the thoughts or the narratives that are showing up when you're about to interact with your pricing or you're about to have a conversation with someone around money. So some of those narratives might be like, you know, I'm not worthy of charging this much. No one's going to accept this. Is this good enough? And like you've got all these thoughts coming in and maybe there's some shame arising. And we love to ask this question. Um, we say like, whose shame is this? Or whose judgment is this? Or whose fear is this? Whose imposter syndrome is this? And we ask that question to create an opening of unpacking that and saying like, oh, the shame is actually capitalism or the shame is you know I grew up hearing my dad say rich people are assholes you know and I'm trying to like reject money subconsciously and we start to like understand and depersonalize these narratives a bit and then from there we take care of the nervous system mm. and you know taking care of the ner nervous system requires us to have a subtle awareness of like what's happening even in the body so like What's my temperature? What's happening with my heart rate? You know, do I feel any anxiety in my chest? Do I feel nauseous? And when we are noticing those, that's an invitation to pause. That's an invitation to slow down and do something to help regulate ourselves, to bring us back into the window of tolerance, or we like to use the language, the window of resilience, where we can 
we can act in a more effective way with m more parts of our brain, more executive functioning, more fluid intelligence, more uh, decision-making abilities. That was one of the things I wrote down was just like, you know, and I took the course and showed up live every week, three hours <laughs> each week. Um, it was very intense and interpersonal and all the things. And the, as I was thinking about this conversation today, the thing that popped into my head was pause. Like mm -hmm. that was one of the key things I learned, whether it's a business decision yeah. or I'm like at Target, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, do I really need the Barbasol? Yeah. Um, shout out to Barbasol. <laughs> not, a, not a sponsor yet, but I, <laughs> when we see Caleb's mustache, we're going to cut it off live on air. Um, <laughs> please. No, sorry, Caleb. The, <laughs> no, but it's just like this idea of like pausing and yeah. you go, um, all right, let me, it, it, it could be a feel good spin, right? Like yeah. I have kids and I'm like, oh, I want to get my son these shoes or the school supplies. I'm like, yeah. do I need the, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I just, I, I like the fact that you brought that up like mm -hmm. that, like pausing before the decision making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I actually created these stickers that I give away to people, you know, at events um, that go on your credit card or your debit card. And one of them says, what is the why of the buy? And it's an invitation to pause when you buy. Or another one, it's com this comes from the 12-step recovery world, halt. Before I act, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? And uh, I think it's important, especially in you know the consumerism world, that we do pause because that's where our agency around decision making comes from. You know, if anyone's ever done a marketing course, you learn about like manipulative, manipulative tactics and like using the psychology of scarcity to convince people to do things that they might actually not want to do. So it's yeah. important for our agency to have pause. Um, you mentioned something earlier about like what we used to think was the right way of doing things, like let the baby cry. And then yeah. you're like, um, no, actually that was wrong. We've been doing it wrong for decades yeah. <laughs> or yeah. hundreds of years even. Yeah. Um, and you, you could, we can talk about like DNA and things that show up. In, but also like how do you just keep up? with the shifts and trends and new information and apply that to the course and make the adjustments. Cause I think is in any business, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's always new information coming out. You have to make a decision on how you're going to pivot your business based on what you just learned yeah. and discernment becomes a thing. Yeah. Like how does, how does that work in your world? Well, actually our tagline at trauma of money is decrease shame, increase discernment. So it's a very, it's very much part of our values to be discerning. And um, in our trauma money six step method, the last phase is refinement. And also in the psychology of scarcity, one of the interventions for scarcity or the belief that you're in scarcity is something called fault tolerance. Mm. And because I worked in FinTech and I was trained in agile, agile technology development project management, I was taught about being in like creating in a, a zone of iteration and when you're in that place there's no faults there's just learning and because that's such a big part of our values if we say you know what we're changing the curriculum and we taught that before and that's not true anymore i don't feel bad about it i feel actually really proud because we're embodying our values and we're modeling that for people and there was one thing we were teaching about the neuroanatomy of the brain when you get activated and psychologists for many years were teaching about this 
concept that like the prefrontal cortex goes off and you go into the survival part of the brain and it's like the reptilian part of the brain. Well, the new neuroscience is like um, that teaching is based on hierarchies within species. It's like speciesism. And it's actually not true that like basically that teaching says that reptiles are inferior to humans. And it's one of the narratives and propaganda that was used to, you know, perpetuate this. Some of the ideas in capitalism that humans are allowed to extract from earth animals because we're at the top. And psychology continued teaching that. We even (laughs) taught that in our first still two cohorts. And then when we came across the new neuroscience, we we now teach that we used to teach it and now we don't, and here's why. Right. And so we use like the wrong way as part of the teaching. I mean, that's uh, getting goosebumps from that story because yes, like the way we, I don't know, digest the the information, the science, the societal information, and even especially now where voices in culture are kind of like giving more rise, even on your Mm -hmm. website, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you go to Trauma of Money, you are honoring the land. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. tell me like where elements like that came from, you know, and and explain the land thing. And then just kind of like this sort of, always on mindfulness like even listening to you right your language is very you practiced but like deliberate and um and you know inclusive i want to i guess i'll say that but Mm -hmm. like let's talk about the land and then how wide the lens goes when it comes to the different cultural elements that go into the work um i saw a meme uh the other day and it was like someone's like oh you have a good personality and they're like thanks it's just a bunch of trauma responses (laughs) (laughs) i'm really crying inside (laughs) yeah and i was like you know my inclusive language i think comes from a trauma response and that's part of like post-traumatic growth is you know we do go through these experiences that deepen our, our awareness and because of some of the experiences that i had gone through and because of this like people pleasing and you know, hypervigilance of my external surroundings, I have developed this um, strong ability to be, um, to try to be at most times very aware of the things that I say. Um, But the inclusivity is a a huge value of trauma of money because of our tagline, decrease shame, increase discernment. When I worked in financial literacy, I found that there was very much like, you do this, you're good, you do that, you're bad. And that just resulted in so much shame. And so when I was thinking about designing a new way of interacting with money, it felt extremely important to include and elevate multiple worldviews around money. And I'm a white settler woman, and I've only had... I've only had so many experiences around money, so I couldn't be the only person teaching it. So we had to bring in like multiple experiences and backgrounds around money because our paradigm shift is the environment that we live in impacts the relationship with money. So you have to hear from multiple voices. Part of that also is like taking a decolonized approach, which... um, is you know moving away from like that this or that type thinking there's only you know one right way to do things uh the paternalism and all of these aspects of the colonization that have been like forced on people 
And so in any area that we could try to decolonize, we will. And part of that is like the, the truth and reconciliation approach of honoring the land and whose land is it. So, you know, the work that I, where I work and where I live is on the stolen territory of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Sawasins people, which um, are the um, stewards of that land that I live in, mm. but it, it's been stolen from them. And how can we teach about money and how can we talk about, you know, capitalism without honoring and acknowledging that that history uh, even as painful as it is but it's so important for us because you know I really believe like we are all we are all connected and I can't fully heal my relationship with my with money until we're all well and we're all Mm. um, on that path of of healing and getting access Um, um, before I bring Caleb in his mustache in (laughs) the um, We've had conversations about C-suite leaders, especially when they're managing budgets. It could be six, eight, you know, nine-figure budgets and how a lot of organizations operate from this place of scarcity and demand and also not realizing, like, the people that are on their teams also have their own trauma that they're dealing with. If I get fired, I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. If I don't pay my rent, I'm going to have to go live with my mom. I hate my mom. Like, there's this, mm-hmm. like, domino mm-hmm. thing that, we, that happens in our heads. How do you train organizations to be aware, especially when there's like, oh, the C-suite is like, I'm fine, we don't need this. And then, (laughs) but you're not like thinking about the entirety of the organization and even how you're operating it. Yeah. Um, So that happens often where, you know, the, like the C-suites might say, oh yeah, this will be great for my staff who are getting, who are in this income class, but I don't need this. And one of the ways we, introduce them to the work that they connect with is through the psychology of scarcity. And so the brain doesn't know the difference between being in scarcity or the belief that we're in scarcity. And you can, maybe they don't have money scarcity, but do they have time scarcity? Do they have connection scarcity? Do they have, you know, scarcity in many different resources, um, even emotions. And so, um, we teach how basically when scarcity is present, you have a reduced cognitive capacity. And if you go to the website, the American Economic Association, and you look at the definition of economics, it says it's the management of scarcity. So scarcity has been built into our economic system, yet scarcity impacts the brain and basically mirrors a trauma response. So impacting decision-making, fluid intelligence, creativity, you know, being able to move out of this or that thinking and being like, wait, there's multiple options here. So the moment we start talking about it in that way to executives and talking about time scarcity and how, you know, scarcity is so built into the economic system that you may not even realize some of the values of scarcity that you are threading through your entire organization. All of a sudden we frame it like that. They're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Caleb, where'd you go? Did you leave? Were you upset that I I kept talking about your mustache and your Uh, gorgeous hair? I know you love my mustache. It's fine. (laughs) I'm just jealous of it. You know, yeah. 
tracks. Yeah, <laughs> my jealousy tracks. Thanks. Um, <laughs> see, that's where my trauma comes in. I'm uh, big T, big T pain. What's up? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this is really. I, I mean, what's? Uh, I love this conversation a lot. And we talked about this when you were talking about bringing her on about how much you and I have faced of like I, I didn't even think of this as an existing thing until I heard about you and what you do, and I'm like, oh, I might fall into this category deeply. Uh, of like having that's the one thing it's like you you think it's not for you and then you start reading and you're like oh or you hear this conversation and you're like oh wait yeah <laughs> exactly well and i think you're talking about c-suites i think one of the things that i also think about a lot too when it comes to c-suite leadership too is like as i continue down the path of growing and figuring out this for myself i'm also thinking about like as i pay employees and like get the team built like i know there's more of that for them. And I'm just wondering whether like ways to be empathetic and like help lead uh, in a way that is empathetic to financial trauma of the team members I have as well, because I, in, in a way that's also appropriate. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I didn't know if you have, you know, just advice or for C, you know, whether CEOs or uh, just other leaders that are trying to be cognizant of that for their people. Yeah. So you're asking about working with your team members who have financial trauma and how to na navigate those conversations. Yeah. Or yeah. even how to identify it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think it's a given that every single person has their own experience with money and there's probably been challenges along the way in some form of an or another. Um, you know, a lot of people make an assumption that financial trauma or trauma of money is only associated with people who have like who have experienced loss or poverty, but it's absolutely not true. And a really great example of this is that show Succession, <laughs> which yeah. that is like a case study for financial <laughs> trauma. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think that level of awareness is is really helpful is when you have it, you have staff, you just say like, you know, they might show up and do odd things that are different than the way I would do it around money. And the empathy is understanding that they have a whole lifetime, not even just their lifetime, but what did their ancestors go through around money that is showing up when they ask you for a raise or where, when they, you know, are laid on an invoice or when they are laid on submitting expenses it's so much more than just the behavior there's like a whole story behind it i'll give you an example of that i had a I was kind of like uh, at a point in time in life brokering deals between like startups and organizations and a friend of mine was like yo you know are you getting a piece of those and i was like no i'm just you know blah blah, blah. and she's black and she's like was almost like pissed off at me and she goes um she's like you know at, like most of us when we grew up it was like our parents didn't have much and you don't like you don't you don't ask for more like you get what you get and don't ask me for nothing else and yeah. now like here i am in a business setting and i'm like that is showing up very subconsciously like yeah oh i didn't realize i was stutter stepping or selling myself short because of a habit that i learned very very early on yeah yeah that's right well, and I think for me, and it, I think it shows up a little differently, but I even think that you talked earlier about how there's some other interconnected things that might lead to financial trauma that's not actually financially related. And I think about in equating to that, like one of the things that I was always taught growing up is like, you don't ask for things, you don't invite yourself into things like in, in general. And just like, I've found that showing up even in business where I like that, like I'm afraid to ask for money because I don't want to, you know, invite myself. It's like almost inviting myself into like, getting more yeah right I almost feel like you know and it maybe it's imposter syndrome but also it's like a bit of that just 
And I want to couple that with, with a point, which is like the transition. The, once you have that awareness and then you start to step out of that space, that can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and it can take a lot, lot longer of a time than you expect. And I, yeah. I want you to correct me if you know if you agree or, or disagree. I agree. Yeah, okay. I agree absolutely. And um, I so <clears throat> there's a teaching in financial psychology called the financial comfort zone. And basically, what they say, and this comes from Dr. Brad and Ted Klons, who are two financial psychologists here in the U.S. They say that the way you grow up around money and like the stories you told, you've been told around money become essentially your comfort zone. And this is why, you know, fo folks who grow up in poverty, if they like, you know, get a lot of money from maybe they're playing like professional support sports, for example, they may end up like, you know, the, le the rates of bankruptcy, et cetera, are really high if they grow grew up in poverty. And they say that's because the financial comfort zone. And um, this is very true that we, our nervous system gets comfortable even in chaos if that's what we're used to. So if we grew up being told a certain thing or we grew up and there was chaos around money, we will feel more, most comfortable in that environment as adults. And so when you have the awareness of that and you try and do something different, it's gonna be so uncomfortable. And we actually invite discomfort in. And that becomes the meter of like, are you changing something? So when I work with entrepreneurs who are under earning or undercharging, the first thing we wanna do is, okay, we're gonna get uncomfortable here. But we don't just like throw ourselves in dis discomfort. We sandwich it with like nervous system support. So we're going to sit and do some pricing exercises, but after this, we're going to go outside and be in nature or we're going to, you know, watch some comedy or we're going to do something to care and nourish our nervous systems. Um, and, you know, folks, for example, who grow up in like quite a bit of chaos, they, ha they might produce more cortisol, so more stress hormone. And if that's what your body is used to, you will recreate situations to increase the cortisol. Like, so I'll see people constantly being late for things because when you're really late or you procrastinate, cortisol increases. And <laughs> Why did you look at me like that? Yeah. <laughs> and the nervous system's like, well, this is familiar. This feels good, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, and, and yes, it tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean to put you on, but look, I, I'm like, I'm the opposite. Like, I'm, I'm like on time and I have this like a, an air of perfectionism and I have to mm -hmm. let that go. And like, I was raised by a single mom who, you know, mm -hmm. grew up in the projects herself, turned her life around. Went to, and so like everything was like, tuck your shirt in, like, you know, don't use that word, use this word. And so when I show up and it was like, somebody's five minutes late, I'm like, what the yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it is sort of like, I, but I'm very much aware of it and I have mm -hmm. to like regulate my own nervous system. And I yeah. think, you know, with that, what other sort of practices do you recommend that people couple with their trauma of money training or revisiting? Like, is it meditation? Is it therapy? Is it drink a bottle of vodka like <laughs> during I class I <laughs> which I, like I did um <laughs> sorry no but, yeah, what, like, what, what do you what do you advise yeah for? so um I mean trauma of money is a psychoeducation program so we are not a substitute I don't think we use the term psycho oh sorry <laughs> just kidding okay I'll stop <laughs> Are you going to backtrack that comment nope. about my nope. <laughs> wear language? <laughs> yes, exactly. um, she was afraid to go to jail. Right? 
<laughs> and we were talking before the cameras in the that's restaurant. that's my trauma yes <laughs> am i gonna Fred go to prison. jail that's why you wore all blue today you're going to <laughs> exactly you're prison blues <laughs> they make it an easy transition <laughs> exactly. you'll leave here getting the paddy wagon <laughs> yeah exactly and, uh, Last, my comfort zone. <laughs> my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought prison yeah. uniforms were orange. It depends on which prison. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, Canadian yeah. prisons are <laughs> pastels. Oh. <laughs> we're much more polite. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> much more polite. <laughs> this cup's too tight. No, no, they're fine. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, I moved too much. <laughs> <in my cousin. laughs> I have a joke about that. I, I'm like, say, who apologizes more than a Canadian codependent? <laughs> wow. That's, <laughs> that's me. It's dark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of jokes, I'm going to just segue. Yeah. I knew you were going to answer. I forgot where we were. But yeah. um, I too. here's what I did. Yeah. I asked ChatGPT. Yeah. To, uh, to create funny or fun interview questions based oh. on your profile. <laughs> okay. Um, and it gave me 12. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm going to ask you to pick three numbers between 1 and 12. Two. Okay. Six. Okay. Ten. All right. Um, you want to do number two? Uh, yeah. Are we going to play popcorn I mean, don't here? Do number two. I mean, read the question. You're right. Thanks. <laughs> I know you're nervous. As <laughs> you're giving me new trauma right now is what's happening. As the co-founder of Trauma of Money, have you ever encountered a money-related situation that was so bizarre or hilarious that you could that could only be described as a financial fiasco? Oh, financial fiasco. Um. Oh, there is one, but I just, I don't think I can share <laughs> you don't want it. To person's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, I don't know. We can move on. I think, You're yeah, there's one, but it just, they were really impacted by it, so I'm not going to wow. say Should we call, it. Can we call the person? <laughs> just call them and put them on speakerphone? <laughs> I think she lives in Norway, so I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. We don't even, this doesn't mean, it's not even available in Norway. Let's go. <laughs> you want me to say it? <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, so sh someone was, there was a spiritual, um, like spiritual educator that was trying to teach this person about manifesting and loosening their grip o on money. And they basically had them burn money. Yeah. That is a fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Norway. So we had to do a don't, lot of work around that. Don't bank in Norway. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, number six. Uh, imagine you were creating, uh, by the way, I didn't read any of these questions, so oh, okay. that's, that's, how, that's how responsible I am. Uh, <laughs> imagine you were creating a fun theme park centered around money education. What would be the craziest ride or attraction and how would it teach visitors about financial responsibility? Oh my gosh, that's a really <laughs> hard question. Like a, like a house of mirrors, like that's, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Like, yeah. You know, like a fun house? Well, yeah, like you all, because we all have different shape sizes and relationships with money. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. A lot of us on financial roller coasters. A lot. Yes, <laughs> yes. The theme park in and of itself <laughs> would be. The it's, it's an analogy to everything. Yeah, exactly. By I the way, is this bit failing? No, no. <laughs> um, I don't have anything. That's <laughs> I think we're answering the questions more than she's answering yeah. the questions. I feel like we're giving you a safety net. Um, all right, you do oh, number popcorn. 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in your extensive research in addiction and behavioral science, have you ever come across a quirky money-saving hack that, that left you both impressed and amused? Hmm. Acorns. 
acorns? Oh, wait, like you guys not have acorns? Yeah, thank yeah. you. What? You got, never mind. You, go, you probably guys don't have, you don't have acorns. What it's do you like mean? A, it's like an app where you spend money and it takes like a small percentage of what you like. It doesn't it round up like the the, the yeah, change the and, and puts it into savings. Basically. Oh, so if like you spent like five eighty six, you would get fourteen cents put into your savings. It would oh, round it okay. up to Got it. six. I'm sure we have things like that. I, I know when I worked in fintech, that was like a offering that they were trying to add into different accounts. But mm. fair. Well, I, I can't think of one that I've heard, but I have a tip that I used to teach to teenagers called Net- Netflix and chill your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> you love talking to teenagers. What, uh, what, what does that mean? So basically, if you find yourself in a position <laughs> where you're racking up credit card debt a lot, what you do is you um, have your credit card pay your Netflix bill and then have your bank account auto pay that each month. Take your credit card, put it in a Ziploc bag with water, and then chill it in the freezer so you don't use it, but it's still being active because it's paying for Netflix. Hmm. So you're like building your credit score without racking up your debt. So that's how you Netflix and chill your your credit card. Wow. I I appreciate that. Um, The show is called Masters of Craft. You're you're aware of this. Yes, yeah. Um, I also think in some ways mastery is an illusion. Yes. Yeah. That's why we're all back. I'm going to make Caleb disappear in a minute. Um, what, what is something in your life or career that you're still trying to master or you want to master? Um, well, my personal belief is that we're always in a state of refinement. So um, I feel like anything that I value or try and do, it's always just it's going to be a life of like refining it until it, and I don't think that'll ender, ever end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thank you. I thank you yeah. for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. Do you have any questions for me or Caleb? No. Wow. <laughs> so much for a two way street. <laughs> um. I know. Oh, you know what? Actually, oh, yeah? uh-huh. when reciprocity is not present, the nervous system feels a threat to safety. So that's why you're a little I don't feel threatened by uncomfortable you. that I don't have <laughs> questions for you. <laughs> I, I'm not here to be asked. Question. But when you have a podcast and you want yeah, to yes, yeah. just a weird, a weird person on. Yeah, uh, I'm I would all love for to it. have you on. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to this installment of Mass. Why are you laughing at me? Uh, this You're doing great. Chantel, thank you. Thank you. Uh, how can people find more? Uh, like, where, where do we go? Where do we follow you? Where do we uh, learn more about Trauma of Money? You can find us on Instagram at Trauma of Money, at Chantel Chapman, or our website is www.thetraumaofmoney.com. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>